there's a lot of stuff that is said today in our language that was not said 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. There's a lot of words and phrases that are used today that simply weren't. From time to time, I am told, Max, don't go postal on me. We didn't say that in the 1970s. You know why? Because somewhere in the 1990s, several postal workers went into work and killed all their coworkers. And going postal means going berserk, going crazy, going ballistic, being violent. Don't go postal. There's another thing, uh, a phrase that, that didn't exist when I was a kid. From time to time, I'll tell Jenny, man, I just need to veg out. If you had said that to somebody in 1970, they would go, what, you need some vegetables? You need a can of veg all? What are you, you going to do? Ve- what is veg out? Veg out is to relax and do nothing. That's what veg out means. And then there's this stuff that I hear. I don't use this phrase. Are you dissing me? Are you dissing my boyfriend? Are you dissing my church? What is dissing? When did that? Oh, you believe it or not, it came in the 1980s, and then finally it made its, it made its way mainstream in the 2000s. It means to disrespect. To dis is to disrespect. I learned a new phrase this last year from one of the John's children. They were talking about a concert that they had attended, and his phrase was, man, that was tight. That was tight. If you had said that to me in 1975, I would have immediately looked at my shorts and gone, are they too tight? I know my socks are up to my knees, but are my shorts too tight? I mean, there's tight and then too tight. No, apparently that was tight means that was excellent. Tight is excellent. Who knew? I didn't know. And then, then I watch TV and I hear things like, man, I was feeling light in my new kicks. What? What are you? Kicks are shoes. Kicks are shoes. So when you, when you hear somebody talking about their kicks, that's their shoes. Who knew? And then I have friends and they will talk about friends of theirs or neighbors of theirs or their sister-in-law and they will say, well, she's gone granola. I had to look that one up. What is granola? What, do they buy granola in the bag? I mean, what does that mean? Apparently, it means to embrace the hippie lifestyle of the 1960s. So it means you don't shower, but every three or four days, and you're really hyper about recycling. Okay? And that's, that's, that's granola. And, and in leader worship, they said, oh, wait, the other word for that is crunchy. She's gone crunchy, or he's gone crunchy. That also means granola. Who knew? And then there's stuff, there's stuff that was said when I was a kid that just isn't said anymore. It saddens me. Um, the phrase, that's a drag. You know, that's a drag. I don't hear that as much anymore. I still say it because I'm old now, I guess. And, you know, a drag, when something's a drag, it's boring, it's annoying, okay? Then there was this phrase we used a lot in high school. Somebody would say something like, man, it's sunny outside. And you would go, duh, <laughs> duh. I've never heard a second person interject on a first person in the past several years and go, duh. You know, duh means, yes, that's obvious. We all see that. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, And then, then there's a phrase, until this week, that I had not seen or heard in years. And it was Isaiah who used it. He, uh, he and I were, were rescheduling a meeting. And so he had promised, okay, we can do like Tuesday at 10 or something like that or, or whatever. So I get this email from him, him in the morning and, uh, he forgot that he was out of town, so he couldn't meet the meeting. And the subject line was, I'm such a dork. 
I'm such a dork. I remember being obsessed as a teenager about not being a dork. I didn't want to be a dork. I remember dad going, son, you don't want to be a dork. Nobody wants to be a dork. Nobody wanted to be a dork in the 1980s. Nobody, okay? And, and I, I just looked at that subject line and I realized, man, it's been forever, dork. Nice to see you. I mean, I, I just, it was forever in a day. My point is this, language changes over time. Words come and go, phrases get changed and tweaked, but there's one word that's used today, it's used today in a way that it wasn't used 30 or 50 years ago, and that one word is go. I know you're thinking I've lost, I'm off my rocker, but bear with me. Let me use the phrase in several sentences in a way that it wasn't used 30 or 40 years ago. I go to church. Do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Generations. Oh, we go to Quest. Oh, we used to go to Quest, but now we go to Journey. Ooh, Journey? What's that? I've never heard of them. Are they new? And on it goes in our language about church. We go to church. In the 1970s and earlier than that, few people talked that way. They really did. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about what was the question that was asked. And the question was, are you a member somewhere? Where do you belong? And people would actually uh, admit to belonging somewhere, and they would say, well, I'm a member of First Baptist. And it had no correlation whatsoever with whether or not they attended worship services at First Baptist. It's just, that's where I belong. And if they didn't attend regularly, there was another word that was employed in the 1970s that we don't use anymore, and and that word was backslider. So if... (laughs) Think about it. When was the last time you heard backslider? In Christian circles. Never. No, we don't backslide anymore. But apparently, man, in the 70s, that was rampant, backsliding. Okay? And the funny, here's the weird thing. People who claim to be a member of a church somewhere, but who did not attend regularly and weren't reading their Bibles, they would actually admit to being a backslider. This floor, I was remembering scenarios back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and I remember people, and they would say, they would volunteer this, and they would say, you know what? I'm backslidden. They would admit this, and I'm like, are you nuts? You're admitting, you know, you know what it, not measuring up or whatever it is in a culture that should measure up, and, but people did. Of course, that was a long time ago, and that was a time when we wore our Sunday best on Sunday, and, and those things don't exist anymore. I'm but today, today we go to church, and just like we go to the movies, or we go to the bank, or we go to Disney World, or we go to dinner, we often go to dinner because we can't make dinner, and that's okay, but we go, I'm beginning to think that we're a nation of goers. It's what we do, we go. I'm an American, I go, that's what I do, I go. I get in my car and I go, <laughs> here we go, 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 Americans, go. We can make a Dr. Seuss, we could make a Dr. Seuss tale about it, I mean, we really could. This to me, this to me is unfortunate. And it's unfortunate because our language, I believe, when it comes to church and how we talk about church is making things unclear. It's making things messy. Church is not a place. Church is not an experience. Church is not an event. It's an extended family. And our language is messing that up. If you brought a Bible, open it to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a letter that Paul wrote that's a circular letter, and he wrote it to several churches. And uh, it was meant, in other words, it wasn't just for the church at Ephesus. It was for a number of them. And chapter 2 is kind of like a big chapter. The first 10 verses of chapter 2 are all about salvation by grace. 
And then in verses uh, 11 through 18 of chapter 2, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles are now reconciled. They were strangers. They were enemies. And you Gentiles who were on the outs with God are now in. You're part of God's family together. And then in verses 19 to 22, uh, Paul makes this case and he says, you Jews and you Gentiles who were strangers and enemies are now part of one extended family together. You've been joined by God in a supernatural way and your family. And that's what we're going to wade into. Uh, so chapter 2, verse 19. So now, so now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And the Greek word there is oikos. Ah, see, there was foreshadowing in today's service. Oikos. Oikos. Say that word with me. Oikos. Yeah, now you could be a good Greek and go to a restaurant somewhere. Oikos. I want oikos. What? Okay. Um, Oikos means household, extended family. And in, in this world, in the first century world, Oikoses, or oikoi, which would be the plural, were everywhere throughout the Greco-Roman world and even among Jewish people. Oikoi were everywhere, oikos. And oikos was a household. And in the household you had the Lord, which, sorry ladies, was the husband back then. And then there was the wife and then kids. And sometimes there would be slaves and then servants. And then sometimes even there would be freed people who were still working in the household. And then off to the side, you'd even have clients occasionally. And all of those people were considered part of the oikos. And every single one of them occupied a special place. There was only one of them. They had a unique role, and they contributed to the life of the household. Oikos. Every person was irreplaceable. Uh, Look at verse 20. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And when Paul is saying we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he's saying we're built on the foundation of their teaching. And what is it that they're teaching? They're teaching the good news that you Jews and Gentiles have been brought together and made into one family through what Jesus Christ has done. Look at verse 21. He takes it further. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Carefully joined, close relationships. In the first century, Christians would refer to each other as brother and sister in their, in their house fellowships. That's, they, this is brother Nate. This is sister Charlotte. That's brother Bruce. This is brother Bill. Sister Emily. And that's how the language that they used. They used it so much that it really confused the Romans. The Romans, by the end, by the middle of the second century, believed that followers of the way, Christians, practiced incestuous relationships. So, because they kept hearing brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, and they were like, oh, you stay away from them Christians. They're doing things that just aren't right. And these are Romans saying it. I mean, think of what the Romans did, okay? <laughs> On the sliding scale, it's the pot calling the kettle black, okay? But it freaked the Romans out. They just didn't, couldn't handle that. It was too much, all right? Uh, verse 22, verse 22 Uh, Through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit, joined together in the place where God dwells. 
there are maybe six main metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Here are the six. The church is referred to as the beloved bride of Christ. Another one, the church is the flock. Um, uh, 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 Jesus reminds Peter, and, and Peter uses this word about the flock, the flock, the flock, okay? You're the shepherd, take care of the flock. Another metaphor is household of faith, oikos. Another metaphor is the building of God. Another one is ship, and another one is people of God. But oikos, family, is the most predominant metaphor in the New Testament. It's the most predominant one. In Matthew, Jesus is asked a question, and he's told, hey, your mom and your brothers, they're here, they want to see you. And what does he say? He says, these people gathered here are my mothers and they're my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father is family. But you know one of the interesting things about family? You don't choose family. I mean, think about it. You were born into your family, and did God ask you, hey, I'm thinking here or China, and then you could have this couple in Ghana. What do you think? No. It's, I mean, you, you didn't get a choice at all. You just came. There you were, and you were in the family you were in. You didn't, there wasn't even, there's no democracy in it. It's terrible that way. You don't choose family. In, in the book of John, Jesus talks about it this way. He says, I'm the, he uses a different metaphor. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you're grafted in me, you're going to live. And if you're not grafted in me, you're going to die. But branches don't get to, you know, well, you know, I think I'd like to be further down the vine. Or I think, I, you know, a branch, you're put in where Jesus put you in. You're grafted in. And so in that sense, unlike anything in our culture, the church isn't a voluntary association, like a Harley-Davidson club. And again, I'm talking about the church with a capital C, not the church with a little c. There's a difference. The church universal is not a voluntary association. Uh, you're not, you know, it's not like you get a vote and, hey, I like Harley's. Oh, I like Harley's too. Let's get together. No, it's, it's, you're put in where you're put in, you're grafted in. God does it. It's something God does. Well, if the church is not an experience or an event or a place, but it's a family, I have some questions I would like to ask, all right? So here are my questions today, and then we'll get into some points of application. When you think of church, what comes to your mind? I mean, what do you think of? Is it a building or a steeple? Is it a worship experience or a flavor or the top 40 on K-Love? I mean, what is it that comes to mind when you think of church? Or is it a set of relationships, a particular set of people and faces? What comes to mind? And, and here's the first thing I want to ask you to do. I'm going to beg you. Here, I'll get on one knee. Would you please, please, please stop going to church? Please. And this is what I mean. Change your language. Our language this is messy. It's unclear. Um, the next time someone asks you, do you go to church? Tell them, no, I stopped going to church. Oh, What? Well, yeah, you know, I realized a while back, you know, it's not something I go to. I realized God put me in something much bigger than me. He gave me a family. I belong. Try that sometime. I, I, and on my preschool thing for Maddie, they asked me, do you attend church? I scratched it out and I wrote, no, exclamation point. I'm hoping they'll talk to me about it. <laughs> it will give me an opportunity to proselytize. Okay? So please, stop going to church, would you? Eliminate it from your language. 
And here's, here's the second thing I would like to ask of you today. I'd like you to take some time this week, because over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about growth. We're going to talk about growth and love and how that's part of this oikos, all right? But before we do that, I want you to examine the quality of your relationships within the local church, the local expression of the church with a capital C. That would be here at Generations. If church is a family, if it's an extended family, how do you fit in? How are you fitting in? Or do you feel more like an out-of-town family member who's in occasionally, okay, to use the metaphor? Here's, here's how the local expression of church works. In any church, small c, that's over 50 people, you have to have structures for people to relationally get together. I mean, think about this. What we're doing right now, does this afford the opportunity to love and grow and, and all the kinds you might think of in terms of family relationships? In what family environment are you sitting in seats staring at something? TV. <laughs> right? What does that do? Uh, well, maybe not much. I don't know. Okay? So, so you need other contexts. At generations, those contexts are things like classes and groups and gatherings. That's where you're at the kitchen table, so to speak. And so if, 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 if you're part of a family and you live out of town from your family and you're not at the dinner table regularly, you're going to miss out on family life. You're not going to feel as connected. And maybe you won't have the same level of support or whatnot that you might get when you're at the table regularly. And so the church has a responsibility to make sure here's where the table is, but everybody within a local fellowship has a responsibility to make sure they come to dinner. All right? So examine the quality of your relationships within the church. And here's why this is important. And I've talked about this before a couple of years ago, and I want to mention it today. There are too many churches, I believe, in America. They're big churches, small churches, and they've bought into this idea that, that, that church is an experience and it's, a, and it's a business. And it's all about the bottom line. And the bottom line means, in a bottom line church, you are replaceable. Someone will always be able to sing better than you, lead a group better than you, do whatever that church is doing to get bitter, better, stronger, better than you can. You're replaceable. It's just like IBM. And success in that model is defined as bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more money. And another thing that permeates it is the uh, WIIFM mindset. What's in it for me? Um, the, the, the phrase that will reveal that is, well, you know, if they don't do a men's group soon, we're gone. And that's usually a, an indicator of what's in it for me. How is that way of doing church any different from anything else in our culture? The Boy Scout troops or schools or businesses or IBM or Disney? I mean, how is that different? It's not. You don't want to be in something like that. You want a family. God put you in a family. When church is oikos, you're irreplaceable. You are the only Aunt Susie or Uncle Joe or Cousin Bob. You're it. There's only one you. You're irreplaceable. Success is not bigger and more money. Success is who you're becoming so that the church, the family can say of you, hey, we're proud of you. And more than anything, it means that you've got a group of people that you can count on no matter what. Oikos Church is good church. It's church the way God meant to be church. That's what I want for this local expression of church. 
It's been 25 years since I've been or had anything to do with the First Christian Church of Hartford City, Indiana, but I wanted to share a little bit about it with you this morning. Uh, the First Christian Church is just a little church in a little town in nowhere, Indiana, okay? But I spent several years there, a long time ago, years and years, okay? I cannot tell you one sermon from all the sermons I sat through in that church. I can't. I can't, I can't name one. I'm sure we talked about God, Jesus, maybe Moses. I'm sure. Did we hit Moses at one point? I'm sure we did. I just don't remember. I don't remember a single worship experience, not one. None. You know what I remember? I remember Pat and Jean. Pat and Jean did the uh, class, Sunday school class in the basement. And everybody would be getting their coffee and sitting down and he was always the jokester and made you feel totally welcome and like you had something to bring to the table and contribute. And and uh, I remember Mr. Starks, and I remember uh, a number of people. That's what I remember. I remember people. And I, back then, I used to make fun of card night at the Johnsons. They didn't have a Sunday evening service, but you know anybody who was able would get together and play cards. And I was like, that is so unspiritual. You're going to burn in hell for playing cards, you know, and so you should be in church, dadgummit. You know, I was much more firm back then about what was right and wrong, okay? And... and you know what? It wasn't such a bad thing. You know what? They, were, they shared life. They would cry over stuff. They would talk about things. Should they probably open their Bible as they're getting together? Yes. But dadgummit, they were a family. And they were there for each other and always were there for each other. That was a beautiful... And uh, let me tell you, they were not perfect. <laughs> They were far from perfect, and they had a lot of dysfunction going on, but they were family. You know what? That's what you want. You may not be able to articulate it, but that's what you want. That's what God designed for you to need and have in his family. 